Well, as always, it's an honor to be here with you this morning, whether you're here on our Canandaigua campus, online campus, uh, Hopewell campus. It is just great to be able to continue in our series, Kingdom Living, Volume 2. Uh, we're actually looking at the final words of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount this morning. Uh, next weekend, we'll be looking at uh, Matthew's sort of conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, his, his final words of how he talks about how the individuals who heard Christ there uh, as he was preaching, respond, much like we looked at at the very beginning of uh, looking at the Sermon on the Mount with Kingdom Living Volume 1 all the way back in September. We looked at Matthew's introduction to Christ's sermon. But again, this morning, we look at Christ's final words, uh, how he wraps up this sermon that Matthew records in Matthew 5 through 7. And it's interesting. We're about to discover that Jesus does not add any new instruction, uh, but rather really desires that we, the hearers, you and me, uh, make a proper response to the teaching he's already given. In the passage we're about to explore, really Christ confronts us with himself uh, by setting uh, before us a radical choice between obedience or disobedience, uh, responding to what he's saying or not responding to what he's saying. Christ, in other words, calls his followers to be fully devoted followers of his. Now, it's, it's so important when we look at these final words of Christ that we understand that we're not saved by works. We're saved by Christ alone, right? It's the grace of God that allows us to, to enter into relationship with him. It's, it's, it's by grace alone. Jesus died for our sins, was resurrected for our salvation. But we also understand that although we're not saved by works, those who are saved participate in kingdom works. I'm going to say that again. Although we're not saved by works, those who are saved participate in kingdom works. In other words, we understand that really our salvation, justification, we call it, being made right with God, uh, is from the outside in. Uh, there's nothing we can do to make us right with God. Jesus did it on the cross. The finished work of Christ on the cross was that he paid the price that we owed, showing this tremendous love for each and every one of us by dying in our place. And so he did that work. And so it's from the outside in. Sanctification, which is also a part of salvation, the continuing work of God in our life through the Holy Spirit is from the inside out. But it's rooted in what Jesus has done for us. I've said this before. It's not like Jesus entered into our life and said, I'll see you at the finish line. He's with us every step of the way. And so the picture we find in the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount is a, is a picture of what does it look like to be an individual growing in Christ who's legitimately made the decision to follow the Lord and grow in Him. So again, I say we're not saved by works, but those who are saved participate in kingdom work. So let's look at this radical commitment of receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Look at Christ's words, Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, Christ is not diminishing a verbal profession of faith. We've got to be clear on that. A verbal profession of faith is indispensable. In fact, Paul writes these words in Romans 10, 9 through 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For with your heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. After Christ's resurrection, the early church knew what they were saying when they called Jesus Lord. There was no confusion there. To call Christ Lord was to, was to fully affirm his divinity. In fact, it was a divine title. It's rendered from the Greek Old Testament of the Hebrew word Jehovah. So when you hear the word Jehovah and Lord, they're the same word. It's the same understanding for, for those of us who understand Scripture. Those Christ is speaking about made a public profession. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. But they were not true followers of his. Sure, they did signs and wonders, but Christ and Paul both said, but as the, in the end days that both of those things would happen, it'd be false prophets, it'd be false teachers, it'd even be false works. And, and so I want to camp here for a minute. You may recall last week I said that just because a crowd has gathered does not make a teaching biblical. It, it doesn't mean it's not, it just doesn't mean it is. Well, Jesus would show us that just because miracles are taking place, just because there's a lot of energy doesn't necessarily mean that it's the true gospel. And there are some Christians that that's all they do. They try to seek one experience after another experience. Well, this must be of God because people are hopping around. Things are just moving. And by the way, nothing wrong with that. I like to be in a place where things are moving. That's my personal preference. But it doesn't necessarily mean things are in the way God has laid them out to be. You follow what I'm saying, church? Only the scriptures allow us to know if something's in alignment with what Christ is putting his hand on or not. So let's move on here. So what's Christ's profession? It's, it's like theirs. It's public, but it's different in that it's truthful. He says to those who are doing these things, I never knew you, depart from me. Now, this group may claim to do many miracles in their ministry, but in the everyday behavior, they weren't truly followers of Christ. Now, let me be clear here. They knew that. Like, nowhere in Scripture does it say that you can have made a decision for the Lord and walk around and, and, and somehow you're not really in. You follow what I'm saying here? Uh, and I don't want to in any way in this message have you undermine your confidence in who you are in Jesus. And so if you're in Christ, you're in Christ. These individuals knew they weren't in Christ, but they believed since they were fooling everyone else, they could fool Jesus too. And Jesus is just simply saying, no, no, you may be able to fool everyone else, but I know your heart. You're not truly a follower of mine. I mean, think about it. today as believers, we make a private profession of faith as we're as through conversion, coming to Christ and receiving him as Lord and Savior. We make a public profession of faith through baptism and testimony. We regularly attend worship service. We, we, we sing praises to our Lord. We serve in minister, as ministry partners in his name. And, and the reality of it is, so do some who don't know Jesus. Like they go through the motions. They feel like that's something they need to do. Maybe, it's, maybe they feel that in doing so that they, they can receive the acceptance of others. But I'm here to tell you the only reason to do these things is because Jesus is your Lord. That's what matters. It's not what others think about you. It's what Christ thinks about you. It's not the acceptance of others, the acceptance of him. It, that's the foundation in which we're to build our life upon. Again, now understand this, we're not saved by works. It's just simply those who are saved participate in kingdom works. 
So here's what we learn. The person who professes faith in Christ, doing the will of God, will enter the kingdom of heaven. The person who professes faith but does not actually follow Christ will be turned away from Christ. We can't fool him. We either receive him or we don't. Now that doesn't mean we're not growing. It doesn't mean that some days we, 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 struggle, we don't struggle with our faith. That, that's not what it means. We're not perfect. We're being perfected. Our obedience isn't perfect, but it's, it's, it's getting better as we grow in Christ. Right, church? We desire that. We desire to be like Jesus and his character and his love and his purpose and his priorities. You, you, but here's the point. Your work will not save you on the day of judgment. Your deeds will not save you on that day. Only genuine faith in Christ. Genuine faith in Christ is evidenced by our walk from one form of Christ-likeness into a greater form of Christ-likeness. And that's what Jesus is saying. That if you're truly mine, you'll desire my things. You'll desire to walk with me. You'll desire to, to grow in me. Again, not perfectly, but still growing in him. And then Jesus offers this amazing illustration, this powerful illustration many of us are familiar with. And think of it in the context of what we just looked at. Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Everyone then who hears the words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. The contrast in the previous paragraph was really between what we say and what we're doing. And here it's between what we're hearing and what we're doing. Uh, think about it. Both the wise and foolish men are, went about building their home. Doing the same thing. In fact, a casual onlooker probably didn't see the difference. Probably looked at both of these houses being built and thought, well, that's a nice house and that's a nice house. They may even look similar. We don't know. But only when the storms came down did the true character of the house become evident. Only when the storms came down. And now let's, let's bring this into our own context. In the same way, professing Christians, both genuine and counterfeit, often look alike. What do I mean by counterfeit? I just mean those who sort of put out there that they're, they're believers, but in their heart they know they're not. They know they're not. And yet they may look alike. They both appear to be building lives as believers, but actually their deep foundation is, is hidden from view of, of the people around them. They, 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 they may be fooling many people, the counterfeit believers, but when you, from the onlookers, you may not see much of a difference. The real question is whether they will put into practice Jesus' teaching. And that's only shown when the storms of life come. What, that's the difference. Where's their foundation? Where, where's their strength? Where's their peace? If it's built on anything but Christ, it's going to be shown. Stott rightly proclaims, he says, neither an intellectual knowledge of Christ nor a verbal profession, though both are essential in themselves. Let me read that again because it's important we understand that. Neither an intellectual knowledge of Christ nor a verbal profession, though both are essential in themselves, can ever be a substitute for obedience. For walking with Jesus. For allowing him to strengthen us 
and, and give us this peace. Here's the reality. God has promised to fill his believers with peace and power and strength as we follow him. And so many times, I, I, I've been guilty of this myself. I go, Lord, where's the peace? And he goes, where's the follow? You're trying to do things your way and still want the blessings. But you've got to put yourself in the place to receive the blessings. Like God does all the heavy lifting, but ours is to follow. Follow his way. I'll have people come and tell me, I just don't like what the Bible says here, so I don't do that. Well, you're building on sand then. And when the storms come, they're going to be in trouble. You've heard me say this when it comes to marriages. If you have two people truly trying to follow Jesus, their marriage can flourish. It doesn't help to not follow Jesus and then go, why are we having marriage problems? You say, well, look, we're both following Jesus and we still have marriage problems. But yeah, when the storm hits, if you're following him, he will give you what you need to pass through it. And that's why James, a book that many Christians don't like to read the first chapter or so when it's talking about difficulty, because it says it's through difficulty, but we're strengthened. Because we don't like to think we're ever going to go through difficulties. But I don't know, whether, ready or not, here it comes, church. Difficulties are a part of life. So you can either choose to build on sand, and when the storm comes, be demolished, or, or build on the rock and see the faithfulness of God. It's important to remember that the scripture is clear that salvation is offered again by sheer grace through faith in Christ. We're not talking, Jesus isn't talking about a works theology here. He's just saying, I want to talk about a, a relationship with me that works. That makes sense. Here's what we learned from the wise and the foolish builders. One put Christ's word into practice and the other did not. I'm reminded of these words written in 1 John 2, 3 through 4. It says, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and trust and truth is not in him. I want to be clear again. John's not writing about perfect, perfection. He's writing about a desire to follow after the Lord, to, 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 to keep him as the center of their life and allow him to direct their steps. When it says don't worship other gods, you know what that means? Don't put trust in anything else but the Lord. Put your trust in him. Let him direct your steps. We also learn one was a wise man, the other foolish. You can't be more clear than these words found in Proverbs. Proverbs 8, 35 through 36. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. That's about as clear as it gets. What do you think? Because of who Christ is, he leads to life. On the other hand, to reject him, that leads to death. And then we learn, one built his house on the rock and the other on the sand. I think of Paul's words to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 3.11. For, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Like he's the only real foundation. The person who laid the, the house on the sand thought he had a foundation until the storm came and washed the house away. How many of you have been there? I've been there. And, and then you see the one who laid it on the rock and, and the difference there. Jesus is the only way to God and salvation. 
You can try to build on a different foundation other than Christ, but like the foolish man building on sand, you'll have devastating results. To build a foundation on the rock, Christ, like, like the wise man, we understand that when we do that, we're immune to the effects of the storm. We're not immune to getting them, but amidst them, we see the power of God. Come on, church. I wish we could give testimony this morning. How many times have you found yourself as a believer going through a difficult time and been surprised by the strength you're feeling? I mean, really. You're like, I didn't think I had this in me. And you forgot, but the Spirit of God's in you. The one who spoke the world into existence is inside of you as a believer. The all-powerful God is with you. And you know what? You can say it and say it and say it, but until you really need it, that's when faith is built. One of the most dangerous prayers you can pray is, Lord, give me more faith. Because he says, all right, let's test it. Let's grow it. Let's walk through it. Ever been called to something greater than yourself? Something that you look at and you go, I don't know if I can do that. It, it, may, it may not be a world-changing thing in the sense of, uh, of that type of, of mass where people go, wow. It may just simply be you need to have a conversation with that person who hurt you and you thought, you got to be kidding me. And if you've built your foundation on the sand, that conversation is not going to go real well. But if your foundation's on the rock, Jesus Christ, and he goes with you, before you, with you, following up after you, it doesn't matter how the other person responds. You sit back and go, Lord, thank you. We did this together. In fact, you carried me most of the way through that. <laughs> You're my foundation. Think about that. And lastly, we learned that one's house remained and the other fell. I like this proverb. In fact, these couple of cluster of verses here are verses that if you get nothing else out of what, what Jesus is saying this morning, this is, this is where it's at. Proverbs 10.25, when the tempest passes, the wicked is no more, but the righteous is established forever. Come on, if you've never said amen in your life out loud, that's a good place to do it. And I like Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 9. These just move me. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. <laughs> Do you realize the forces of this world have tried to stomp out Christianity since its start? And the more they keep hitting, the stronger Christ's church becomes. Do you know the fastest growing church today is in Iran? Do you know where it's illegal to be a Christian? Iran. Do you know where if you're publicly baptized and they find out you're dead? Iran. And so they have all these rules saying if you're a Christian, you can't be here. The church can't exist. Your life is in jeopardy. And God went, I can work there. What problem are you going through that the Lord can't give you victory? What past are you dealing with that the Lord can't bring you healing? What future are we walking to, into that he doesn't already know exists and says, I'm with you? The one who spoke the world into existence. Build your house on the rock, he says. Build your house on me. I mean, think about it. 
The words, these words of Paul, by the way, where he's saying, you know, we're, we're afflicted in every way but not crossed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down and not destroyed. Do you know what they follow? They follow Paul's teaching where he says, you're a bunch of, you're a bunch of cracked pots. <laughs> you're jars of clay. Think about that for a minute. These victorious verses, and, and right before it, he says, listen, <laughs> you're not all that. Matter of fact, truth be told, we're all weaker than we would like to admit. He says, but the glory of God has been placed in you. Doesn't that excite you? <laughs> when you're weak, just to remind yourself, the glory of God has been placed within me. And because the glory of God has been placed within me, we will not be crushed, we will not be destroyed. Common trials can bring uncommon grace, and God is faithful to his followers. Overall, the point that's being made here is really clear. Choosing to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is a radical commitment. It's a radical commitment. Christ's sermon ends by offering the same radical choice we have been faced with throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Christ calls us to receive him as Lord and Savior, radically committed to renouncing the prevailing culture of this world and to choose the counterculture of walking with Christ. You recall through the Sermon on the Mount, we're called to be what? The salt of the earth, the light of the world, by being truly devoted followers of Jesus Christ, sharing his love and message with others. Christ calls us to be citizens of heaven, where we're praying here on earth, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We, we, we are to have the righteousness um, penetrating deep into our hearts and gushing out of us to the world around us. We're to be humble, dependent on him. We're, we're to be Faithful, confident in his strength, walking in his strength as recipients of his faithfulness. We're to choose eternal treasure rather than temporal ones. And our greatest ambition is to know him and make him known. Spreading the righteousness of Christ throughout the world through love and, and word. And yeah, deed. Think about it. Christ presents us with an alternative. Either we follow the crowd or we follow him. The prevailing purpose of the Sermon on the Mount is to present us with an alternative so that we're placed in a position to choose. Jesus has said there's only two ways. One's narrow, one's broad. There's only two foundations. One's rock, one's sand. The difference is crucial. Since one leads to death and the other life eternal. One to destruction, one to security in Christ. So here we are. After literally spending weeks looking at Christ's Sermon on the Mount, here is a decision far more important than any you've ever made. Here's the choice. Which road will you travel on? On which foundation will you build? Will you receive Christ as Lord and Savior, being fully devoted to Him? Or will you reject Him? That's the only choice. And the good news is, the good news is, Jesus, even this morning, says, receive me. Come to me. Walk with me. And if you're a follower of Christ, he has not given up on you. The difficulty of your situations does not in any way indicate a diminished love of God for you. Jesus said, in this world, you will have difficulties. But take heart, I've overcome the world. I have overcome the world. And he did it because he loves you and me.
As we go into this time of prayer, I just ask that you would consider where you are with Christ. If you've yet to receive him as Lord and Savior, why not this morning? Say yes to Jesus. And if you're walking with him, maybe you're sitting here and saying, I'm going through a difficult time. I hope you're reminded, not too difficult for God. Too difficult for you without him, but not too difficult for you with him. He has already overcome it. He's already overcome it. Trust in him. And if you're sitting here feeling pretty faithless, remember God is faithful to the faithless. Maybe your prayer would be, Lord, help me take that next step with you, whatever it is, whatever it is. But wherever you find yourself, hear the the calling of Christ on your life. Come to me, he says. Come to me and find rest. Come to me and find strength. Come to me and rest in the victory. Let's pray. Father God, what a, what a tremendous journey it's been to, to walk through this message, the sermon of Christ. So impregnated with such power and such words of wisdom and life change. God, I, I just come to you at this moment and, and personally, I just say thank you for loving me so profoundly. Thank you for, for allowing us to have the blessing of your words. That through them, we can come to know you and be confident in who you are and grow in that understanding. To know you, Lord God, to make you known, to, to choose your culture, the Christian counterculture rather than that of the world. And, and Lord God, to, to be able to have uh, our lives built upon, not sand, but rock. Because the storms are coming. And when they come, we, we, we need you as our foundation. We need you as our savior. Thank you, Lord God, that although we understand that in this world we'll have, we'll have difficulty, you've overcome them. And Lord God, in you, we are overcomers. Lord Jesus, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who's yet to receive you as Lord and Savior, that even now in the quietness of their heart, they would receive you into their life. They begin that journey with you, but they would let us as a church family come around them and help them take their next step and their next step. We belong to you, God, and we belong to each other as your church. And we're here to, to help each other in the journey that you've laid out for us. And Lord God, as, as we gather like this week after week and allow your glory to be put on display, we understand that, that in moments we're going to be heading out, we're going to scatter throughout this region, and we want your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. We want people to come to know you as Lord and Savior, to have their lives transformed as our lives are being transformed, to have their destiny as secure as ours is in you. Lord, thank you for loving us so profoundly. Thank you for offering us this great life by giving yours. God, we, we bask in your glory. Have your way, I pray, in each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.